0: so proud to have Ultralux Linens as a sponsor of the pod. I reached out to Jacqueline, who is the owner of Ultralux Linens, at the end of March to get um, a fabric quote. She replied saying, bear with me, we're just trying to participate in, I guess, the Michael Guerin Hospital Initiative. And it's basically a thousand mask a week initiative that they are a part of. And they're working with Maxwell Fabrics for uh, fabric donations. And they've been spending all their days sorting and packing up scrap fabrics and donating. It to home seamstresses who are also going to be a part of the initiative. And the other day she posted a photo on her Instagram saying how such a great start it had been. They were able to produce a thousand per week of washable cotton masks with a filter pocket. Do I know what a filter pocket is? No, but I'm gonna that sounds good that sounds super helpful to our frontline workers. I want to give a massive shout out to Jacqueline and her team, all the amazing home seamstresses. So I'll tell you what guys, they don't only have a massive showroom. They've got massive hearts. Oh yeah, I wrote that myself. Please do me a favor, go find them on Instagram, Ultralux Linens, maybe give them a little love. They're all they're still doing all this plus helping support their designers. So if you need anything from them, you can go to ultraluxlinens.com and you can shoot them an email and she'll be more than happy to help you. There you go. And I'm actually here today with Nick Parekh. Hi, Nick. Hi. So, so we're both talking. He's in San Francisco. As you guys know, I'm in Toronto and and we're in mid pandemic mode right now. And we've been socially distancing for a while. How long have you been doing this for, Nick? So- uh, the social
1: distancing, I think it's been over a month now.
0: Well, good for you. And yeah, for me, it'll be a month probably on the 14th. Um but so we're zoom calling I have wet hair I decided to shower at least for him so there was that um but Nick's going to tell me a little bit about what he does and yeah tell us tell us what you do um and you said it's a it's a bit of a new type thing that that you're doing right
1: yes so i basically do service design another another name for that would be business design um where my job is to actually understand design not in principle of what is to be done but what can be done right um it's looking at the bigger picture it's it's trying to blend the design and the business world together at the intersection so it's not too design heavy but it also actually uh, it actually doesn't compromise on the business needs um so so sorry about that That's so okay. basically um so it's about looking at It's about looking at design as a strategy and how can we connect more to our customers with human-centered design thinking and other uh, ways in which we can connect.
0: Okay, I want you to give me an example, a very simple example maybe of what that might look like so that I can be right here with you a little bit better.
1: Absolutely. I feel like I get it, but uh, I want to make sure I do. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about a couple of projects. I was involved okay. in and one of the things that we were looking at was uh, one of the things we were looking at was branch of the future at Chase Bank and yep. where our okay. job was to actually imagine what the branches in 2023 will actually do. Now today we all know that branches primarily were designed in the 1920s and since then the format hasn't changed. Mm. So Branches were primarily about transactions and you go in there to do something or to open an account. Now, all that is shifting online, but still Chase Bank has over 5,000 branches. Now, how do you leverage these branches to to still connect with the community, but to provide a bigger experience than just being transactional? So is it about education? And we've seen this format grow where Apple has actually converted their um, Apple was to actually bring in more of a community learning.
0: So yeah. At Chase,
1: um, at Chase, we actually spoke to a lot of people who bra- who actually banked with us, who also didn't bank with us. That what would they like to see? And there are there are some really um, there are some really nice things happening around the world. And and my job is to actually understand the market trends, understand some of the political, economic, social, and technology trends, and try to actually bring it to life and, and, and uh, help companies pivot into what could be done in the near future or what could be done in five years. Um, and, and there are these banks in Seattle that I had visited, UMPWA it's called, and it's very interesting. What they do is that the branch actually converts into a yoga studio in the evening. Um, and, oh. uh, and capital one, we've seen that new format of branches are no longer about making you feel like you're going to a bank, but it's actually making you feel like you're going to a coffee shop. And, and so the thing is, these kind of pivots are going to be more or less often now with every business, because you, we can't just concentrate on the sales aspect of it, but we have to concentrate on something that, that brings people together, that creates the community. Okay. So. So my job is to actually look at those things and question those and help company pivot. But it's not just, it's it's not my ultimate decision to decide. I work a lot with stakeholders. I work yep. a lot with customers. I work a lot with market trends. I love work a lot with current problems are also understanding the world politics and trying to bring it all together um, into one cohesive experience.
0: Okay. And like talking about that bank, you were talking about in Seattle that converts, this is, I'm just curious, um, to a yoga studio studio at night. Is, is, Is that decision mostly about the client experience? Is it, or is it also a little bit about like, how can we also create more revenue in the evening when the bank would normally be closed? Or is it a little of A and B? Like what's the overall thinking on that?
1: Um, so it's definitely. Um, I would say it's it's about it's about bringing community together and being remembered in this uh, competitive oh. environment. They definitely don't charge for this yoga studio. Um, oh, it's okay, a way got to it. To help the community, but I think there is a, a. I I don't want to be very specific, but there is a hidden marketing in that which yes. basically helps them as a brand. But more or less, I think people are now looking as the world is getting smaller in some ways and and people are getting more and more in in a community, they want these spaces to have multiple effects. And we've seen that, like Uber is another example where a car is actually can be used as a taxi and also for personal means, same with Airbnb. So all these spaces, how can we leverage and create new experiences within the same format? But also trying to bring in community. Another thing that they do really well is once in a while, they actually have pet get together or they would they would realize that someone in the neighborhood is making amazing cookies and is actually selling at farmer's market. So they call them into the branch and tell them that you can invite people and you can actually get people to taste your thing. Because most of the challenges for these small businesses is the space. And if banks can actually help them with this, and same thing with Chase, we've seen that um, uh, there are lots of companies who now want to pivot into more educational part or who mm-hmm. want to pivot into something else, because depositing checks and, and kind of those things can be are, have become very self-service. You don't yep. need, um, you don't need an advisor to do that or you don't need a teller to do that. But how can we leverage still a great experience while actually changing what we actually do? So yeah, that's,
0: that's very cool. Yeah. What, what a cool freaking job that is. Um, so I guess the question to you would be like, as designers, many of my listeners and myself, we work, you know, we are we ha- maybe work alone and we obviously work on a very personal, intimate, like one-on-one relationship with our clients. So how should we be thinking about our businesses or services or structure to to be able to incorporate that? In our own businesses?
1: And one of the things that I always, uh, I always tell as designers that we should be doing is what uh, Harry Sonborn da- did really well. It's the CFO of McDonald's. Always I ask small businesses or even big businesses to first understand what kind of business you're in. You're never into the business you think you are because, because there is something else that you could that you're actually doing and you don't even realize like McDonald's CFO was the first one to say that they are not into a restaurant business, but they are into a real estate business. And from a failing company, McDonald's, it became a 80. That's right. I saw the
0: movie. I should remember this. I forgot that. But yeah, exactly. 85%
1: of all the revenues actually comes from uh, 85% of their business model is based on franchise. And, and they just, are a real estate company. They hold over thirty billion dollars in real estate properties. And same thing. Amazon is not an e-commerce company. Amazon is a logistics company. So if if every small business starts realizing, currently I work with um, I work with Charles Schwab. I'm working on uh, making the I, I work with a contract agency working at Charles Schwab. But I my job is to actually re understand robo-investing and the problems we are facing and how we can make this better. Now, I always think that most of the financial firms are not just into financial business like Chase or E-Trade or Emery Trade or Charles Schwab. We are actually into financial wellness. We are into a healthcare business. Because of this volatility that happens in the world, currently, a lot of people would get a lot of anxiety when they look at their 401k dropping or when they look at the investment actually becoming half of what it used to be just a few months back. So that can give them a lot of anxiety. That can give them a lot of uh, depression in general. So as a financial company, how can we showcase that information on our dashboard that just doesn't represent... Um, that just is not as black and white, but actually considering a little bit of human-centered design yeah. or design empathy to actually understand, hey, there might be people who might uh, be, um, who might actually have a heart problem and they might not be able to take this well. Some people actually probably lost 50% of their life's value on 401k, but it's okay to tell them that, but it's also okay to tell them that, hey, we've seen these kind of things happening. And this is not going to be forever. Markets will eventually drive back up. So at some level, we are a financial institution, but we also enter the healthcare uh, sector. And this happens with all the all the financial business. So I always tell that just because someone is an interior company or an architect, but there is something else you're doing. There's something very hidden deep inside that you're trying to change. And that is something that everyone should try and bring out.
0: And so it's kind of like, it's it's really just... Okay. Just so I'm totally clear, is it, it's, it's being able to dig into like what can help connect to people other than like, I'm going to make your house look pretty.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And it's on a marketing
0: standpoint, ultimately, like it's to help me better communicate and create a, uh, an experience that makes them feel or do whatever that is that I'm saying I'm also doing other than just making your house look pretty?
1: I think it's a bit of everything. It's a bit of everything. There is definitely a marketing aspect to it. There's okay. definitely a strategy. There's definitely design thinking. There's definitely product development. So it's a bit of everything, but it's just about having, a, I've seen that. And personally I've done that in the past where a lot of people have a close mind. Oh, my job is to, my job is to, I'm making amazing sunglasses. I'm protecting people from their thing. But there's something deeper you're doing. There's something about style. There's something about helping people uh, look better or it's about vision or it's about something else. And it's about understanding. Like a lot of people, actually, this was something that I read uh, uh, and a lot of people don't realize, but Apple actually started as a company to help accountants make better invoices. It wasn't targeted to designers. It was targeted to uh, people who... The opposite uh, of designers. Yeah, it's basically helping helping accountants create a better invoice and all that. And soon they realized that accountants are happy to what they use. They don't want a better invoice because they don't care about it looking pretty, but they care about the payments coming on time. But who cared about it is designers. And they quickly understood that. And rather than trying to fight that, they embraced that uh, mm. signal from the society and they then catered it to designers. So I think sometimes I like when, when you create products and you realize that it's not the target market, don't get disappointed. Maybe another target market really likes it and you have to start pivoting towards that.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's so huge to hear that. Like maybe an example might be like, it's maybe it's a loose example, and I'm just going to give you examples because of like where I'm at in my business. It's a very new business. I'm self-taught. Um, a lot of my listeners are very new or just thinking about starting a business. So we're like, you know, you've got Apple up here, right? And then you've got us <laughs> a little, just you know, not super far away, but down here. And just for everybody listening, I got my hands very far apart right now. But um, you know for me, I I was getting, I, I found myself getting a lot of leads, uh, people who are asking for my services that couldn't, that were kind of lower budget. So, you know, and it was frustrating. So my solution to that was to create ways to work with them as opposed to, instead of fighting and saying like, hopefully I can figure out how to work with, you know, people with bigger budgets, which I get here and there. But it's like, this is what the reality is. And how do you make it work for you as opposed to like being angry about it? Okay. Well, what can I do to make that work for me? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, okay. My question to you then is what kind of questions, like you, first thing you said we need to do is to figure out what it is, what kind of, what is our, what, what it kind of business we are? Like we're, Are we, we're not just designers, we're not just making houses pretty or whatever. What are the types of questions that we need to kind of ask ourselves or what process can we put ourselves through to try to help really identify what we are then? So there are are many
1: ways to go about it, but one of the best ways to probe about what they're doing is just go and ask three whys. Like for example, if someone asked, uh, if you ask your client that why is it that your budget is not so great? and they will mm. tell you because i i'm not planning to be in the city forever so i don't want to spend a lot of money okay why because for me this is not an ultimate home why because eventually i'm looking to buy a big house and spend all my uh, have a bigger budget for that so so once you ask the three why's you really get into the depth of things and and this three why's is not something that uh, that um, it's something that I practice. It's something that IDEO and everyone, McKinsey, IDEO, and we all do this as an industry norm. Once you start asking the three whys, you really get into the depth of it because asking one why will give probably give away Um, very surface level answer and I think then you start getting deeper and deeper and I think that's just not with product development or understanding life that's something that we can do it to ourselves so ask ourselves you know why am I doing this why am I in this industry Mm. because if all of us start understanding why you're doing something you're doing I think there is there is a momentum that people may realize and 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 this happens with all aspects of things that you're doing if if if, for example, Apple's job is to make an ecosystem that just works within the thing, their why will be how can we create tools that families can use together? Can can just You can live in a home with only an Apple ecosystem or any products like that. And today, most of the products are creating an ecosystem because the why has always been that I don't want to keep on switching. I don't want to keep on learning new tools. I want to be in one ecosystem and I want to be happy with that ecosystem. So same happens with the customers, like try and get into the deeper level of it and try to understand why you're doing. And that's something that businesses can do to even get the mission and vision actually uh, more, uh, uh, get their mission uh, phrased properly because why are you doing what you're doing? And, and keep on getting deeper and deeper because the, the depth, the answer that comes 50 feet under the ground is is very rooted it's very strong it's just like a tree you can't just put a shell tree on the surface of it and expect it to be tall and strong you have to go right deep inside
0: Um, that's actually i it makes me think about my initial call with my my like leads one of the questions i ask is you know why do you want to work with a designer as you know because it's obviously going to be cheaper to try to do this yourself and then I just let them answer, but it sounds like what I should probably do is when they give that answer, then ask them, okay, why that answer? And then why again? Okay, how do you do that without sounding uh like pushy or annoying a client if they are a lead? Or is it not appropriate to ask at that time? Like, you know, you're let's start with that. Could I do that with an initial lead to try? to try to really dig deep as to the why without absolutely. coming off a certain way. You know what I mean? Yep, yeah.
1: And absolutely you can do that. I think, I think I, I completely agree with you that you don't want to come across as being very investigative, but yeah. you want to come across as, I really want to understand you before I, yeah. before it's like, a doctor really needs to understand your problems before he prescribes you a medicine. Or opens like up your a chest. chest. Yeah. It's exactly like what a doctor would do. It's like if you go to a doctor and say, I've got a headache, and if he gave you the pill, that means he, he it's like he's giving you an answer to a problem. He's not solving anything. Um, uh, in my book, The Future of Extraordinary Design, um, I actually talk about... Uh, I talk about Uh, uh, problems, uh, solving problems, was uh, getting an answer versus solving a problem. So there's a big difference between answers and solution. So when I ask something and I get an answer, the answer is always out of pocket. Answer can never be creative because it's an answer. It is written somewhere in some textbook. That's why it's an answer. But what is a solution is when I customize something for you. So a lot of people, when they're told, hey, how do I do this? Oh, I think Google does it this way, so we can do it this way. So that's an answer. That's not yeah. a solution. But, yeah. but perhaps Oof. if if uh, that's what a good doctor would do, is actually he will understand, why are you are getting a headache these days? Are you having enough water? And you'll be like, actually, no. Are you going out a lot in the sun? Oh, actually, yes, I've been more out in the sun. Um, are you getting enough fluids in your body? You know, or are you having some sort of digestive problem? Have you been sleeping well? And that's when he will say, okay, this guy has a problem purely because he's not been sleeping well. There's a lack of um, hydration in the body. And that's when his solution will be trying to get to the roots of the problem, not a very surface level. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the tablet, right? It's not an IB proof and that needs to help him, but something else needs to help him. So, same thing as designers, we have to be doctors at times where we have to go to the root of the problem. Like, for example, let's just let's just try it between us, right?
0: Oh, now, okay. I'm say, scared. Uh,
1: you, you said you're an interior designer and I'm I'm your client, right? Okay.
0: Oh, my God. And, I'm scared.
1: Uh, so, yeah, that will be great. Let's try it out. So,
0: okay.
1: I, so can This you is role playing, out? peeps. <laughs> yeah, role playing. So I want to design my house. I just moved into this new place and uh, and uh, I don't know how much I want to spend. So would you please be able to help me out?
0: Um, yes, I would be able to help you out. But before I do that, I would want to kind of get a better understanding of the spaces and what you need in each, um, and also kind of your budget expectations. So, uh, what I normally do is is I, this is terrible right now. This is high stress for me, by the way, (laughs) but, um, but yes, I always help my clients, but I do like to do, we do a consultation first and we really get an understanding of what you need and if we're reusing anything. And then what I provide for you is kind of a rough, high, medium, low, medium, high. Sure. That's what I would uh, say. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so i'm going to answer that and uh so i'm a designer i i'm not uh i don't want something really really expensive but i still want something unique i still want my place to be um, people like to talk about it i don't want my furniture to look like it's made in millions because i believe in handcrafted things so is, and also I wanna keep it uh, slightly within my budget and that's not very low and that's not very high, just somewhere in between.
0: And you want me to answer this right now? Like, can I do it?
1: Yes, yes. So now you're trying to get into the deeper things of what I've answered.
0: Oh, okay. I I should be asking you more questions is what you're saying? Yes, so why... Okay, okay. Oh my God. I should be the client. You should be me and you should do it right for me. Can we do okay. that? No. Let's,
1: let's do that. Okay. So I'm going
0: to do, uh, do it for me and tell me how you do it. Okay. I just said to you, like, I want it to be unique because I'm not going to do this right. You're going to show us how to do this. Okay. Are you okay, okay. with that? Okay. okay. I just reverse the role. Okay. So I want, I, I want my space to be unique, which by the way is freaking music to my ears. I wish every client said that that's not necessarily what they say. I want it to be unique, but I also don't want to go crazy and spend a bunch of money, but I don't also don't want it to be like Ikea pricing. It would be unique. So like, would you be able to do that for me? Absolutely.
1: So let's, let's dive deeper. What is unique to you according to you? Like, what does unique mean to you?
0: Unique for me is like maybe it's like artisans, like, you know, makers, maybe local Toronto people. Like I would like it to be maybe one of a kind or just not what everyone I know has in their home from like West Elm or CB2. Mm-hmm.
1: And and where do you normally like have your coffee and where do you usually go over the weekends? What are some of the places you go to?
0: Um, I like to have my coffee in my comfy chair. And that's mm-hmm. my go-to. Uh, when, I, when I go for coffee, I love to go to this little coffee shop near my gym. It's kind of like, you know, it's not a chain. And I, I love going there. They have great coffee. And they're always really sweet and hospitable in this cute environment.
1: And, and if it's unique, you know, normally unique comes with a slightly higher price tag than what uh, Ikea and others would sell because it's, of course, not mass-made.
0: Thank um, you for sticking with that sorry. Are you okay with that? Are you,
1: are you okay with that?
0: I, I mean, I think I'm, it just depends on the piece, I think. So I'm hoping that we can find that uniqueness, but without going absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Point
1: and, and what do you see your house as when you walk in? What kind of feeling do you want to have?
0: I want to walk in and I want to just feel kind of calm. I want to feel like the space feels like me. I want to... I just want to feel comfortable. And I also want other people to come into my home and, and look around and feel like this is totally Michelle.
1: Okay. And, and is there a reason why you want to support, uh, you know, small artisans? Because you can get amazing stuff at IKEA and other places, right? Or even other um, big uh, furniture stores. So is there a reason why you want to support uh, or why you want artisan stuff and very handmade kind of things?
0: Yeah, well, I, I mean, not everything has to be that, of course, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I grew up around art. My father's an artist, and, you know, I'm creative and I just think it's important to support artists. But also for me, I just, I it's it's having something that not everybody has. So I think mm-hmm. it's a blend of both of those, like, you know, not just buying that mass produced stuff that everybody has made in China and, you know. So, yeah, I think that's why.
1: So here, um, with just a few questions, we were actually able to... I was that was able amazing, to, by uh, the way. Uh, that, so that's how we usually do it. We try and get into the personality. Yeah, of you're the not just people. saying
0: why. <laughs>
1: why? So, yeah. So <laughs> it's like, now I know why you want to support the artisan, because it's rooted in your family. Your dad was an artist. Mm-hmm. So it's thing more personal Mm-hmm. You you believe that small businesses should be helped and it should be about community, right? And that's why you go to a local coffee shop and you don't go to the big chains.
0: Okay, can I do one more with you? What Absolutely. if I say to you, let's just undo all of that and say my number one thing is I wanted to be affordable. I, like mm-hmm. I okay, so let's say I said, okay, like, I would love, I want something, I want something that it doesn't have to be unique per se, but I want it well designed, which Mm -hmm. for the record, people listening, which are not clients, getting something affordable, the best way to do that is not working with a designer necessarily, like, The nature of what we do we add costs to it but anyways people still call you um but i call um you're you're the designer i say to you um you know i really just i want to be able to 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 furnish my home but you know i and they basically say to you me the number that they want to spend and automatically i know that i can't do it like it's not enough Mm -hmm. money um so, do you now you want to understand the why behind the low budget? Can you help walk me through how you might approach that? Absolutely.
1: So, I think here that there are two things. One is, do you believe? Do you want to do this job if it's a low budget, right? And the second question is, what we usually do in business is shift behaviors, right? Um, tell them less is more. So, for example, I tell you that I have a great, uh, I have a one bedroom, and my budget is say just $2,000 and I want to put up a couch, dining table, which is just not feasible, right? Yeah. Anyone to uh, kind of get good stuff. And uh, they've come to you for a reason because they do wanted something more customized. Otherwise they could have just gone to IKEA and other places and yep. mix and match and done it. So here the question is, one is, Either you can go ahead and tell them that this doesn't fit my budget and I can always help you out when there is a little more leeway to play with, or you can actually shift their behavior, shift their thinking. One of the ways we can do this is tell them that, you know, today less is more. Do you want to buy furniture that you have to get rid of it within a year? Or do you want to buy something that lasts for life? Mm
0: -hmm. And if you
1: buy something that will last you for life, then you just have to, um, you don't have to change your budget, but you just have to understand what is more important to you. Yeah. And and big companies do that, right? I mean, there are thousands of things that even a, a medium-sized or a large company wants to do, but why do they start prioritizing? Like, uh, probably I'm sure that Google and Apple have a business plan for 10 years, but they're not doing everything at this point because they just want to put their priorities, right? Top down, yeah. from top down. So here the thing is, what is more important to that customer at this point? And if he says that for me, it's important to have a family dinner, then their first thing should be having a great dining table. And and if it's about sitting down on a couch and watching television as a family, then that's their second importance. So at some point we can say that we can balance it out by giving them something that's a little more higher quality where dining table and couch, and whereas other things can be a little more that's in the budget to work. Yeah. Or if other things are not as important, then we can tell them that maybe you can do this later in your life. Right now, why don't we concentrate on a on on one area and try to make that beautiful?
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: because even Taj Mahal wasn't built in a day, right? So Ooh, that's if everybody good. Uh, if everybody starts doing things in bits and pieces, then you can do it um, that way. And I think that's something that people have to understand because some people say, I want everything, but well, I don't have a budget. Then it's better you do that one thing beautifully.
0: Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, It is true. And I mean, I think what you were said at the very beginning too is important. It's like, we all have to know what our minimum like point of entry is for accepting a client anyway. And some, you know, right now, given the pandemic, you know, people are doing more virtual. I don't normally do virtual services, but I'm doing some virtual services now mm-hmm. should they be an opportunity. And actually it's really good because it's giving me the opportunity. It's forcing me to do them and see if like, maybe I could happily include them in my, you know, my, my, my client like uh you know, tears. Like maybe I do have this, maybe it goes really well. And I clients are super happy and it can be something I can add in certain months when I need to top up or whatever. But, um, but I think like the key is definitely, we need to know what our, like, I won't, I don't take projects less than X mm-hmm. or whatever, re, whatever makes sense for each of our own businesses.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's definitely, I mean, not everyone wants to take every project and that's absolutely fine. But it's, I think it's still very important with this format, you can still find out the true reason why they're doing mm-hmm. stuff and maybe it will open their eyes. Maybe they'll say that, oh, she's, she's not just an interior designer. She can actually give me that feeling because at the end of the day, I always believe one thing that design is a feeling, not a doing. Design yeah. has always been a feeling like it's like um, uh, in my book, again, there is a subject called design is a feeling and no longer what we do, because a lot of people actually the thought that they're going to Starbucks or they're going to their local coffee shop to have a coffee. They're already energized by it. They already yeah. felt like they've already had the coffee before even they got the cup in their hand because yeah. it's so- um, like tomorrow, if I'm going to um, if I'm going to Thailand for a holiday, in my mind, I've already started walking differently. I'm I'm talking differently. Yeah. I'm already in the um, in the groove of things because it's a feeling that people get, and that's why a lot of times that when you even narrate a story or when you tell them how their bedroom would be and how their living room would be and these there's small details and I'm sure that you're thinking about all these things but they might say that, okay, let's do less but let's go with her compared to anything else because um, it, it's just a feeling and one of the examples, another example I can think of is a lot of people actually do home cooking and I've known people who don't enjoy cooking but who enjoy cooking also and they they don't enjoy it because of the tools. Yeah. Are pick, are, they're picking up like these $10 knives and all that. And I personally waited for a couple of years to get this unique handmade Japanese knife. And now everyone in my family wants to cut. Yeah, <laughs> So they all want to cut. It's, it's just the way that this, that one knife is actually doing a job of 10 other knives. And I know yeah. that in terms of, uh apples to apples it's not a perfect example but
0: it's no but it is, no it's totally it's a great understand. example um what, what about there's also the i mean i, I don't just probably know what you plan on talking about but um with regards to like a budget sometimes people just don't know what stuff costs also right so like if i say to a client um your budget is 30 like what did you have a budget in mind and they say let's say they say i'm just going to throw a number like ten thousand dollars to do their kitchen or something but we know like it takes way more than that um how would you approach that in order to help do you, like would you just kind of ask like is that how do you get to the number of like or how do you get to the answer that is that your number or is that just what you think it is
1: like is that all so, you actually
0: have or is that what you think you need so i think Sometimes too, it's a, it's about I educating them right Yeah.
1: So I think here, there's one thing that I would, um, there's this format that we use often at work and which is kind of my favorite. It's called jobs to be done. Um, It's a, and I can definitely send you a link and talk more about it, but basically when you actually, when a a medicine is made in a pharmaceutical company, it's a drug, but when it comes to a, a pharmacist, it becomes a, it becomes a body enhancer or it gives you something. So the thing is what it's doing. So one of the ways I would say that jobs can be done, format can be used here is if they say that their budget is 10,000 and they want to work with you and you are trying to find ways and means in which you can get it done, you want to know what they do in the kitchen, right? What is the most important thing they do in the kitchen? Is it the cooking itself or is is it the beauty about the kitchen that they love? Or is it about X, Y, Z things? Or is it about the ceiling? Or it's about, uh, I don't know, other things. But but that's when you can say that we can invest more here and these things we can leave it for later. Right. So I think it's about the jobs that they are doing. A lot of people, um, a lot of people actually, uh, uh, in businesses, we often say that how this product is going to make you feel, what are you going to do with it? You know, it's like, Suddenly, uh, app, iPad was actually nobody said that I want an iPad. Nobody even knew that there yeah. could be something in between an iPhone and a laptop. Yeah. But but Apple just said that things you can do with it. They did not sell you an iPad they sold you all the things you could do with it. Oh, you can actually, it's a bigger version of the phone. You can—you mm. don't always have to take a laptop for the meeting. You can take an iPad and you can do these things. So it's like, what can be done? And that's something that I think even architects and interior designers can use because what are the jobs that you're doing? Like, what is your living room for? What is your bedroom for? What is your kitchen for? What do you do in the kitchen? I would love to know your, um, can you give me, on a weekend or on a weekday, what do you go to the kitchen for? Are you making coffee? Are you making tea? Are you are you cutting vegetables? Are you are you doing a lot of uh, oven cooking? Like that's when you can decide even the space of it, right? Yeah. Um, and and I think that's that's the most important part. It's what they're doing so that you can concise some area and expand on the others.
0: I love that. Um, that that's really awesome. And what what other things do you think like uh, as designers we should be thinking about in order to improve like and not again just create pretty rooms and like what is there another element to all of this that we haven't chatted about um
1: i uh, there's this thing that actually um it it makes me think that this wasn't the way real estate norm but uh, this will definitely help you um in terms of interior but you know, there was this uh, blog that I wrote and I thought of this when I was uh, studying, doing my further studies in business design. And it came to my mind that as, as humans, as individuals today, we actually, um, we, you want to test drive a car before you buy one. You want to feel the laptop before yeah. you buy one. You want to try the iPad before you buy one or the sunglasses and, and the list goes on. There's basically everything on this planet, including our clothes. We want to feel it. But you know, there's one thing that we don't try out before we buy it, it's a house. Nobody's yeah. told you that you can live in a house for two days. Try it no, out. No, I know. Out. Yeah. You just see it like once, twice, thrice. And, and then, then you're like,
0: <laughs> most, yeah. of,
1: most of the people spend their entire life in there, right?
0: Yeah. And, and that's the, the thing, biggest like, purchase of our like, life.
1: Yeah. Biggest purchase. It's, it's a purchase that's going to be with us. It's a blessing or a mistake for all our lives. and to me that's like people are buying their dreams just because they're not thinking about this in their mind they've already loved the place when they're bidding for it in their mind they already love the thing so when it comes to an interior design it's an extension of that dream right it's an extension of that dream becoming a reality so one of the ways it's like how do people picture their thing like i I, I don't know, but one of uh, one of the things that I recently saw a video where people are saying, draw us what your home would be or where would you be sitting. You know, people always have this wild imagination, like mm-hmm. I'm on top of a mountain or I'm next to the beach. So I think interior design can really portray that because house doesn't have to be a bedroom or a living room. Like when the open kitchen format came about in restaurants, it was quickly adopted to the homes, Right we no longer have a kitchen. Like even my place, kitchen is connected to the living room. Mm-hmm. And that just makes it feel so much more spacious. But there's so much more that can be done, right? Um, today, like people are just designing the space with having two meanings because the world population is growing and the realist and, and the places we have to build are just smaller. So yeah. people are thinking of two things that they can do at yeah. the same
0: time. Yeah.
1: So, um, so another thing is how can a dining table convert into a computer table? Like I'm on a dining table right now because my wife is using the computer table. We only have one computer table because yeah. we never thought we'll be working together at the same time. <laughs> in the same room. But but I think that those are some of the questions. Like uh, when, when people want to, I know that in interior design, there's usually a design given and all that. But there is another way that another way for people to uh, to to talk about their dreams to talk about what they you know how they feel at home what they want to do and that's how spaces can be designed <clears throat> and that's with everything right one of the projects i worked on at delta was we were rethinking future um, customer journey in 2027 and uh, man that's how, in the head. that's like almost was 10 years ahead when we started it in 2017 and and some of the ways it's, it's, yes, there will be a lot of technological advances that will change the way we travel, but there is this whole thing about how do you feel about it? Like, I can't talk much about it, but one of the things that we had done was we rethought entire security because security is not about going through a TSA and all that, but it's about that feeling you can get. How can I feel secured without going through those machines? Yeah. Um, uh, so, so those are the ways in which I think there's still so much can be done with the interior that uh, is a way to explore and, and houses uh, an extension of a dream. So I think there's well, a, big, I a beautiful way that can be combined.
0: Yeah. And, you know, now's a great time for everybody to hear this episode because many of us have a little more time on our hands to think about all of these deep questions and, you know, about what we want to be and whatnot. And, and all of that. So I'm, I can't wait to edit this and note some of this stuff down. Um, the blog you wrote is, uh, do you want to share that? I can put it in the show notes so that,
1: uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, on Medium. I can just send you the link.
0: Okay. Amazing. So, okay. Uh, do you want to tell everybody? Well, Okay. So tell us about your book. You, you did say something about your book. I didn't yeah, even know so you had a book, so... Yeah.
1: So I used to be in advertising for a long time and uh, I was trying to write this book and for a long time I just couldn't decide what I want to write on and all and and being in advertising you kind of become a little um, little bit who questions uh, the way things are done and I've always had this approach like I don't like to go with the flow I want to question how where it's going and why do we have to follow this just because it's an industry norm So I got upon a topic. The topic is the future of extraordinary design, where I'm questioning everything that industry norms are and how we are supposed to follow them. And we shouldn't be following them because some of them actually don't work in today's, uh, this thing. And I'll quickly talk about a few of them. Please. And uh, last year, I finished a book almost 70%. And then it was time for me to decide whether to keep delaying the book or actually uh, uh, quit my job. I was at Samsung Next uh, working as a design strategy lead. I decided to quit, move on, and finish my book. Uh, and I launched it last November.
0: Congratulations. It's by
1: the really and there are three main topics the book is uh, this thing, uh, a book revolves upon, which is one is standardization, why the world of standardization is not so good. Uh, Often in design, we often talk about uh, uh, scaling up, right? One of the ways that designers have to think about is how this product experience can scale up or how this can be in different parts of the world. And the good thing about is, it's like, let's start with why standardization became so much at the core of design. So most of the companies around the world, especially American companies, they wanted to grow internationally. They design the processes to make expansion easy and, more importantly, fast. Design once and replicate a thousand thousand times. And we've seen McDonald's, Uber, Starbucks are all great examples of what um, standardization is, right? You get the same McDonald's taste everywhere in the world. But soon, I think the world has changed. People no longer want big corporations to decide and deliver. Um, they want local, handmade, artisan, unique, and people want their cultures reflected in their choices. Mm-hmm. So this this brought up room for standardization. And my always thing is that there is this McDonald's around the world. Now, if you look at any of the McDonald's, you can't figure out if I actually took two McDonald's, one in Toronto and one in San Francisco, and swapped them. No one can figure out the difference. Because it does it is a standalone unit it does not comprise of anything of the culture, the neighborhood and anything like that so and also I think in some ways at a bigger level, standardization in somewhat kills cultures because if if we start putting that same design replica around the world, that means we are telling that part of the world that we don't risk we don't care about what kind of culture or color tones you have, yeah. we are going to do what we're going to do. So um, that's, a, and I think the same mistake we're doing with uh, uh, digital design today, where Uber is, is the same. And, and there's this topic about Uber that I often talk about, where the only thing that Uber America or Uber Toronto versus Uber India is the currency is different and the language is different. Mm-hmm. But in India, actually, black is not considered to be a good color, neither is white. So oh. when Uber app is black, it actually, it actually in some ways questions the way that society is built. It's like saying oh. that we, we are going to do what we're going to do. And, and there is this whole, whole thing about diversity, understanding the cultures, respecting it. So one of the great examples, and coming back to it, I always believe that good design is always dynamic, contextual, and relative, And uh, that's why I think some of the two of the greatest examples I often talk about is Apple Stores. So Apple Store in Brooklyn, Berlin and Dubai, three examples. They are all unique to their communities. In Dubai, they worked with local architecture to bring in a very Arabic influence design. In Brooklyn, actually, where I had visited, they, they actually, you bought one of the local architects and they did not modify it. They modified it from the inside, but outside they made it look the same. But one of the great stories about that is when they actually put their Apple logo illuminated, they realized that none of them in that neighborhood of Brooklyn, which is a very brick kind of construction look, did not go well. So they yeah. actually removed the logo and they just put a small cutout in aluminum.
0: Oh, uh, so good. So oh, I think, yeah.
1: again, like, um, and again, like in Berlin or in in uh, London, they buy local architecture. They don't try and stand out; they blend in, and that's the most important part. Okay. Another great example. Um, another great example is uh, uh, there's this place called Enotica Maria in in New York. And if you ever visit New York, please try to go to that place. What they do is it's so unstandardized that they hire a head chef a New head chef every week.
0: Oh, wow!
1: And that new head chef is not a, a, a culinary uh, uh, chef or it's not a Michelin star chef, it's actually a grandmother from the neighborhood.
0: Oh my so god, they, what's this place call called? It,
1: look, uh, Enotica Maria.
0: How do I spell that? You're gonna email yes. it to me. Will you email it to me uh, after? Absolutely, I'll okay. Do that.
1: I'll do that. So what they do is they they get a local grandmother to be a chef for the week. And that local nonna is what they call her. It can be uh, from an Indian culture, can be American, can be Canadian, can be Japanese, can be Swedish. And they cook what they know for that week. And all the other helpers, all the other chefs work with her to kind of understand what she wants to cook. So it's like. Love One it. week you could go and you can have like Japanese authentic food. And the next week it's like an Indian authentic food. So that means it's such an unstandardized model that they are actually helping the local community yeah. because every week they're like, Oh, who's cooking? Oh, it's actually a Cuban uh, grandmother. So I'll get to have some Cuban food. And yeah. it's like, it's like they've catered the entire business model on unstandardization.
0: I love uh, it. That's super cool. So I think
1: people should not try to standardize things so much when it comes to brands. There's a beauty of unstandardizing things. In Mm -hmm. advertising, we often say that don't create advertising, which feels like seen one, seen all. Try to create advertising that surprises people every time. Yeah. Uh, The other topic is, um, I don't know, have you
0: heard of human-centered design? No. Well, maybe. It sounds slightly familiar, but you're going to tell me.
1: So in design world, and this is like uh, this spread across the world where human-centered design is in every form of design, Um, today, right from Apple to Google to Microsoft to Airbnb to Uber, they all think about human-centered design. Like it's not create what you want to in the business world, but you create what users want you to create, right? So it's features and the way it looks and the way it feels, it's all based on user uh, human-centered design it's as a human as a user it's consumer-driven design right uh but but the pro i see a problem in that because today it's become and i studied human-centered design so i think i take full right in questioning it um, and uh, and one of the things that i don't like about it is it's very focused on humans because it's human-centered design right and, and as and haven't we had all the problems in the world because we only think about ourselves. Right. And we have so, so every person's life story revolves around them, but we cannot forget one thing that we are part of the ecosystem and not the entire ecosystem. That's yeah. why everything around us seems so, um, seems so much getting destroyed in a way because we've not thought of them when it comes to our ecosystem. Right. So I always believe that if a user or if a human has a place at the center of the design, so does every other living thing. Mm-hmm. That animals both. And, and one of the best examples I often give is that people go to zoos, right? Um, let's take an example of a zoo. I have never been to a zoo. I'm a vegetarian. I'm a big animal lover. Okay. At the age of three, I decided I'm never going to go to a zoo. wow,
0: oh, jeez. I-
1: so, that's amazing. So, that you thought that. Yeah, three. So, that's one thing that I, I never understood that zoos are a perfect example of the flaws in human centered design. Because zoos only make us think about ourselves, no matter how much we justify by saying that we are doing this to preserve endangered species or, uh, and exposing our children to the wonders of nature, but we are not. The lion is not meant to be in that cage that habitat wasn't built for him. Um, if if it was only built, so if a kid wants to see a lion, he gets to see one. And yeah. now I'll, I'll actually talk about a great example where they built a Zootopia. There's this concept in Denmark that they're building. Have a, um, If you can search for it, Zootopia. It's yeah. And what they have done is they reverse the whole thing. So they're actually building a real forest for all the animals to be as wild as they... Want to be, and on top of that they built this circular dome where we are will be where humans will be in a small cage watching them with by ha ha we're in the cage that's amazing. So they reverse the story <laughs> yeah. and to me that is not human centered design, but that is ecosystem design because y- you don't put humans at the center of the story because we don't need to be at the center. the animals need to be at the center of the story.
0: Yeah, Tiger King can learn a thing
1: or two. And And it's a great example because what they've done is they've created a dome and they've said that you can take binoculars and look at the animals and they built it in such a way that animals cannot see us.
0: Mm. So they don't
1: feel endangered. So this is a great example of not thinking just human-centered design, but thinking about every other ecosystem. Um, Also, I think some of the other problems that we see is cloud seeding, what what happened in uh, what what's happening around the world it's it happened during the olympics in china or it's happening in united states it's also happening in europe cloud seeding is another way that we only want to think about ourselves right from fireworks we all know that what fireworks actually do to the animals but we still have them because we feel celebratory about it yeah farm all production we love our chips but they come from a rainforest in indonesia where where monkeys don't have a home anymore or even things like dolphin show where we say that we love to see dolphin but they've been trained to to mimic a little circus for us right yeah so um so at the end of the day i think human-centered design is flawed and i think somewhere down the line people have to question that we have to go beyond human-centered design we have to think about animals plants we also have to think about our beaches and almost everything in the ecosystem and uh, these are the two main topics. There is a third topic. I, I don't want to, I don't know if we are short of time. No, you can tell me uh, about the third topic. So the third topic is something that actually is very current. It's, um, I'll start by giving this example. It's about, uh, there's a lake, um, uh, there's a small lake um, it, that connects to almost na- seven states and two countries, including Canada and U.S., and it's called Lake Erie. Um, yeah, I, think- I used to, okay. grew up right near it. Oh, okay, perfect. so uh, I'm sure I don't have to. so recently it's been uh, it's been polluted in a very bad way, and it's actually a, a way for most of these states to have their to get their drinking water from. and what happened is a lot of corporations around it, which is animal farming around it, they kind of um, they kind of did things that did not make the water drinkable and uh, a few citizens from one state, they actually decided to file. So what has happened is they decided, so they decided to file a case on behalf of Lake Erie. And they wanted government to give Lake Erie the same status that a corporation or a person would have. And this actually trend started back in New Zealand and Australia, where lakes and rivers and oceans have the same right as a person or a corporation. Uh So the government granted that. And it was the first time an example that a lake has the same rights that all of us enjoy.
0: Yeah. and now I didn't know that any, about Lake Erie.
1: <laughs> it's beautiful. And, and now actually any citizen who uses Lake Erie for the drinking water can sue any corporation they feel is doing harm to Lake Erie on behalf of that. And the reason why I use this example is that we might see soon that that all the non-human rights are, all the, all the rights have been given to things which are not living and that might be a trend. And this is not an anomaly. Other countries also granting non-human rights to forests and rivers. This is just a beginning. We will soon see that um, uh, self-driving cars will have the same rights as a human and rivers will have the same rights. So I think in some ways we have to apply design thinking, not just to products and services, but go beyond it. Think of laws and ways in which we can actually think of design thinking, in mm-hmm. which we can actually make laws centered around people. Because at the end of the day, if Lake Erie can get rights tomorrow, um, a, a Tesla self-driving car will have rights and tomorrow an autonomous plane will have rights. Mm-hmm. So. How do we think about in ways in which that we can we can fill everyone? And again, it becomes not about humans, but about everything at the center. Um, so the question was, can designers be lawmakers? And it's not just product designers, it's every kind of designers. Can we write laws which are not wishy-washy, but very clear to general population? What if designers, we venture outside of products and services? What if we design laws with the same attention that we design our homes or design our services, uh, look at it from every different angle. And uh, one of the last things I always say is that design, and writing laws is about understanding consequences, understanding communities and understanding ecosystems. And I think designers have the power to do that. Um, we And I think in terms of designing the future, we get to design the future from taxis to taxes from energy to AI. How we design is completely up to us. Searching for answers is always copying and we have to start searching for solutions because that is true innovation. And uh, designing for the, uh, I always believe that every single designer holding on that idea can change a community and a group of us can change the world. So That's um,
0: beautiful.
1: So, so <laughs> I think uh, in some ways I think designers have to think law because a lot of designers try to sway away from that but now it's the time that we have to start thinking law as if we are designing a product or a service or a home
0: amazing all right nick why don't you tell everybody where well first of all where can people get your book
1: um they can get it on amazon on bonds and noble it's almost everywhere
0: amazing and where can they find you to learn more about you
1: um, they can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on my medium. I've not been so active, but I still have over 60 articles there. So definitely I will keep posting at this point. There's just too many things happening in my life. So, yeah. um, but yeah, these are the two places and uh, they can find me there.
0: Okay. And your website is Nick, um, correct.com, right? Did I say yes. that right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll be in the, in the links too. And there's a link at the bottom. I was looking right to medium not actually super familiar with medium but it's like a blogging pa- platform yeah yes yeah are you not on other social media
1: i'm on linkedin and i'm on twitter i don't okay i've not i've never been active on instagram probably you'll see like
0: yeah posts which best, are like BSL, but yeah yeah <laughs> all right nick well thank you so much for taking the time and i don't know what happened with the mix-up i think that my my scheduling app uh doesn't account for time zone changes. And that's a bit confusing. So I'm sorry for that. But anyways, I hope you stay healthy. And thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so he was amazing. I'm going to share all of the stuff links that he talked about in the show notes. And I'm just so I loved talking to him. And I didn't know what to expect before I chatted with him because I didn't know who he was. But he had somebody reach out, um, you know, somebody who helps people book podcasts. So I really didn't know what to expect. But that was incredible. And I just I, I recorded that a little while ago. And I just listened back forgetting how awesome it was. So I'm so happy to be sharing this. So another thing I want to share with you guys is a new program that I've come across. So I'm about to rave about a new business coach. I'm not even sure what she's calling herself, but I'm going to take you on this journey of what has just happened. So uh, probably I want to say it was a, a month or two ago, Crispin Butterfield, shout out Crispin, posted in her Facebook group, I think it was, I'm going on memory. Her Facebook group is Creative Human uh, at Mentorship and Business Insight for Design Professionals. I will link that as well. But she, she posted in her group about it was an article or a video with um, a, an interview with Arez. Oh, my God. And the worst part here is I might be pronouncing that wrong. Arez Design. And Arez Design is a design firm. And I think they're based in, I want to say they're based in Florida. That could be inaccurate. But the the basically, it's a uh, husband-wife duo. It's Katie Gutierrez and Ruben Gutierrez. And they basically have created this system called biographical design. And I will try to find that video and share that in the show notes as well. And if you're in my Facebook group and you're struggling to get to the show notes, then you should go to the Facebook group. And if you're not in my Facebook group, join the Facebook group. And that's uh, Real Talk Design with Michelle Bennett but uh I'll try to share anything of this this episode in there because this is going to be packed full of gold. But anyway, so she shared with me this or she shared not with me with a video or the her group this video about this this amazing uh design duo and their the way they built this crazy system that's not crazy this awesome system that is Really uniquely theirs. So I was like, well, I need to talk to these people. So I immediately emailed her or him or both of them. I think I just found their website, their email on their website. And she got back to me right away. Her energy was amazing, right, right up there with me. Lots of exclamation marks, which is my jam. Half the time I have to like edit my emails to reel in the exclamation marks because I don't think you can put an exclamation mark on every single sentence. But anyway. And she was super down, so they were. we had scheduled um, them in the calendar, and we were actually supposed to talk to them last Friday that just passed. And what happened was she emailed me saying, hey, is there any chance that I can reschedule our call because I'm actually running a three-day course? And so she sent me a link, and I took a look, uh, and I said, yeah, absolutely, so we rescheduled, no big deal. And she she sent me a link, and I was like, that looks amazing. And then I ended up taking the course. So I, I went into it kind of the way I go into many things, which, you know, I feel bad saying, but I'm always kind of like, again, just expect, I just, my bar is low. Not my bar is low. My bar, my bar is high is the problem. And I'm just not sure. I'm like, oh, you know, is this going to be new concepts that, you know, is this going to be stuff I've already heard? Well, there was three different courses. And the one that I took was the business of design. And it was, you know, I'm going to read to you what I learned about how to create a signature system, personal brand that positions you as the leader in your industry, how to market your signature system, how to increase profits and retain the lifetime loyalty of your clients, how to establish systems for running a successful business. It was all of that and more. It was three days. It was on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And I took the course on Saturday, even though it was my partner and I's 11 year anniversary. And it was 10am Eastern to 5pm, which sounds crazy long. But it went so fast. It felt I wanted more. I left wanting more. I wanted, I never wanted it to end. And it was amazing. It was Absolutely incredible. After that course, I signed on to be in a one-year-long mastermind with her and five other designers. I've been wanting a business coach for a long time, but I've been really struggling with figuring out, like, being very afraid to just decide to, like, should I move forward? Like, is this the right person? Is this the right person? After three days being spent with Katie and, and the rest of these designers, I... I just couldn't believe how aligned I felt with her. What was really incredible and, and that just made so much sense for me was I've been talking a lot about this in on the podcast and in my Facebook group about how we have to be so careful when we're listening to other podcasts or you know following business coaches because you know that are talking about this is the right way to do it, and you should be doing this and you should be doing that because everybody's different and everybody has different values. Everybody has different insecurities. Everybody has different goals and, or, you know, backgrounds or this or that, whatever, we're all different. And what, what she talks about in her course is about finding what is an alignment for you. And part of that was basically understanding what how to build a business that is in alignment with what is right for you. Basically, she taught, like, I'm telling you, she, she there's so many things that she said that I had never heard anybody else communicate that way before. Um, honestly, I, I wrote down so many nuggets um, of gold. But I think for me, what was what I resonated with most was she was basically talking about this alignment piece, which... I, I had recently connected with on my own and trying to tell you guys, the listeners, the same thing that, you know, we listen to podcasts and we don't have all of the information about what people are talking about. And what really grinds my gears is when people get, you know, they, they respond to ideas in a way that, you know, that's not the right way to do things. Or I talked about this as well You know, when somebody posts something in a Facebook group commenting, not reading what is being asked, but commenting about like, this is what you should do. You shouldn't do that. When, you know, one of the biggest things she said went early on was, you know, anytime you're giving feedback, trying to say, in my experience, this is what happens. And, you know, never saying like, what you should do is this. And on the flip side, really paying attention to your own language about, you know, I should do this, or is this right or wrong, but instead going, trying to really connect to yourself and figure out what the right thing to do is. But knowing that there is not a should or could. It was just so good. Not only that, though. So for me, the way she's she's teaching ideas is not about how to do it her way. But as far as giving you ideas and showing you what she's created, and then figuring out how you can do it for you. You know, she's created this system that you could do if you wanted to, but you don't have to, but it's to help you kind of think about how you could build it for yourself. She, she has so many ideas as far as how to make additional money, um, you know, from clients, existing clients, upselling things that I had never heard before. And I know that this is because she herself works with a coach in a very large capacity. And I, and I believe that it's a lot of, you know, her sharing down the things that she's learned and that have worked for her or things to think about. But anyways, all I want to say is I've really, I I had never heard of her. I've never seen anybody talking about this course anywhere because it is pretty new, but I'm going to share it with you guys um, in the, in the show notes Um, to find the, uh, to find more about this. Well, first of all, you can go to aresdesign.com to see more about their firm Uh, But if you want to learn more about this design class and they've got a collective, which is what I'm a part of now, Um, it's called biographicaldesign.com. Telling you guys, she's also got an amazing blog. I say she because I think it's more led by Kitty, but I could be wrong. Um, But uh, an amazing blog with lots of great information. And I just, I really feel in my core right now that the universe kind of connected me to Katie and Reuben specifically Katie, I, re- I really relate to her on a very big level, not to be creepy if Katie ever hears this. And I feel like, she, you know, I've talked about this as well, you know, people who help show you what's possible and it's called like breaking the one minute mile. So people don't believe that something can be done. And then when somebody does it, you realize, oh, I can do that. And I think what Katie has done for me, she's a, she's got a very fun personality. They have a very fun brand. And I think that she helped me realize that I can be all of that too. And I can lead with that because that is in alignment with who I am. And by leading with that, it's going to differentiate me, which by the way, differ, figuring out your differentiating factor was a big part of that. And no, that part is not different. But I'll tell you what. I was able to really identify what mine was and I'm still trying to flush that out in the three days together with more clarity than I ever have. Cause we, you know, as a team, like as a group of people, we actually bounced ideas off each other master. I did an eight minute mastermind with, we each had eight minutes just cause we didn't have that much time at the end. And I accomplished more in eight minutes than I probably have accomplished in like a month. It was incredible. But I think for, for me, on many levels. It was incredible, but it was seeing, seeing what being an authentic version of yourself can do. And it almost, it it helped give me permission to continue to do that and not be afraid to, to try to be who I am on my website. So there you go, guys. Like I am not, I'm not currently being sponsored. She's not currently a sponsor. They are not currently a sponsor. I say currently because who knows? Who knows what will happen? So you should totally check it out. I'm just absolutely blown away. Okay, so I wanted to say one last thing about that though. When you go visit the website, you might remark to yourself that it's not an, an inexpensive course. And I think for me, that's one of the things that had me a little skeptical and I was a little nervous about it but i stand behind the price behind the 3 days that i did it was absolutely worth it and just to be completely transparent uh there was talk about me being an affiliate but i was not i did not want to 100% uh consider that until i had done the course and um i would never <laughs> i i do not I don't go on rants, not rants. I don't go on, I don't rave about brands or things unless I 100% stand behind them. And if you do happen to sign up, please, I would love it if you could tell them that you did hear about them from me and I promise you're going to, you're going to love it. Um, all right. So moving along, I am going to share another review. As promised, I'm sharing more and more reviews and I just got a new one and I'm about to read it. I have not read this one yet. So this is going to be the first time that I read it. Crystal DeBoard Interiors. So this was on May 8th, five stars. Thank you, Crystal. It says best design podcast. Drop the mic. I just can't get enough. I soak up all of the information as if I was back in school, but it's never boring. Invaluable knowledge for every aspect of the design industry. She gets into the insider deets we all wonder about. It's nice to know I'm not crazy—that everyone has the same questions and problems. Michelle a real flair for real talk and humor. Michelle's real blah, blah, blah. Michelle's flair for real talk and humor is beyond refreshing. I started I start listening to the other podcasts, but always come right back to Michelle's. It's just the best. Period. Wow. That's, that's just amazing. I, I cannot thank you enough, Crystal. That means so much to me. You have no idea. After these three days with Katie and the biographical design course, I am just super amped up right now. And I've got a lot of ideas flowing. I want to keep this podcast going. And I think now it's time for me to really level it up. And I'm going to start going after some, some really, really incredible people and I'm really hoping that it's gonna happen. And I think that right now, given the, the situation, it's probably a good time for me to try to reach out to some of these people. But I want to keep making sure that I deliver and I make it worthwhile for all of you to keep listening. So thank you again, Crystal. That means more than you'll ever know. So guys if you want me to say your name and your your review on the podcast, then there's only one way to do it. You can leave a review. And if you add, I'm going to try to find you crystal on Instagram, but if you do leave your Instagram handle at the very end, I will also shout out your Instagram handle. Maybe you can get some more followers. Um, if you want to follow along in Facebook, I am now going to be doing a few live interviews in the Facebook group. And then in the future, I'm going to be doing some Q and a sessions where anybody can just join and we can chat out about whatever. So we be on the lookout for that real talk, Michelle. Sorry. No. Real Talk Design with Michelle. And follow us on Instagram, Real Talk Design Podcast. That's all for now, guys. I will talk to you next week. Bye.